Okay, we're going to finish Galatians 1. Let's, uh, let's do like a quick review just so we know where we're at. We, uh, oh, my knees. Last week we talked about, huh? What? I said, oh, it's Shut up. Um, Galatians is all about the gospel. It's all about Paul fighting against a false gospel. Now, last week he said, if anybody... I don't know where this stool comes from. I like it. He said, if anybody preaches a different gospel than the one I preach, let him be accursed. Okay, he's preaching the wrong gospel. He said, even if it's an angel from heaven that comes and gives a different gospel, or he said, even if we, if Paul, if I, Paul, show up myself and preach a different gospel, then let me be a curse. Is there's no different gospel? It's like uh, it's like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or yeah, you ain't almost pregnant. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no such thing as well. You know, I'm a little bit pregnant now. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. The same way with the gospel. It's either 100% gospel or it's not gospel at all. And you see that because remember the people that he was fighting against, the Judaizers, they weren't trying to say Jesus is not the way. They weren't trying to say, uh, you know, this, this whole thing you're preaching is wrong. This whole Christianity thing's wrong. Uh, they were They would consider themselves to be Christians. The only thing that they said was, in order to be right before God, you had to accept Jesus, like Paul was preaching, just like he said, but you also had to be circumcised. You also, and that was a sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. And so, basically what they were saying was, you have to convert and be Jewish in order to be Christian. Make sense? In order to be right before God, you had to accept Jesus and you have to follow the law of Moses. You have to do the rituals and all and all those things. And the biggest one that he talks about is circumcision. So remember what we're talking about here. We're not talking about somebody that's going to walk through that door and say, oh, all y'all are wrong. This whole Christianity thing. We're not talking about somebody like that. We're talking about somebody that's going to sit on your robe and say, you know, most of what he's saying is right. But he's leaving off something very important. And whatever it is, maybe it's... You know, not wearing makeup, wearing dresses, not, you know, having your hair in a bun, whatever. You just pick it. Whatever you add to the gospel nullifies the gospel. And that's what he said. He's not talking about people that are just going to come in and say, hey, guess what? All y'all are wrong. This is all baloney. He's talking about people that claim to be Christians that walk in and add to what Jesus has done. They say Jesus is the way, but you also have to do... Whatever, X, Y, Z. Okay, so what we're going to see today is, is Paul's going to defend himself because they have been saying that he is not a real apostle. They've been saying that he is like a second-hand apostle. He got his gospel from other men, and basically he's just messing it all up. We are from Jerusalem. We have the true gospel, therefore you can trust us. And so Paul is going to... He's going to... Um, He's going to defend himself, really. But in the midst of him defending himself, we're going to see the true gospel. Is there any questions? Anything? Nothing? <laughs> okay. All right. 
First thing is, it, we're going to read, what I'd like to do is read verse 11 down through the end of the chapter and then read the first 10 verses of chapter 2 and stop there. I don't know if we'll get that far, but that's what I'm hoping to do today. Paul's going to talk about his authority. Verse 11 says, But I certify to you, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Which means it didn't come from men. Verse 12 says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. We talked about this a little last week. When he says it's not from men, and he didn't receive it from men, but he received it by revelation, what does that mean? How did he receive it by revelation of Jesus Christ? When did Jesus Christ give Paul the gospel? Man, y'all going to be quiet the whole time. Nobody knows? How was Paul converted? Paul was a fisherman. Huh? Was he a fisherman? That was Peter. When he was on the road. Yes, Paul was on the Damascus road and a bright light. Jesus showed up, knocked him off his horse, that kind of thing. And that's where, that's where he received his gospel. And so it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't from men. The whole section here, Paul's going to be telling you, I have the same authority that those Jerusalem apostles had. And because he received his gospel from the same place they received it. You see, they were thinking that Peter, Paul, I mean, Peter, John, James, all those, they had a greater authority than Paul had as far as being an apostle because they were the ones who actually were face to face with Jesus. They were the ones who were actually taught by Jesus. And Paul is going to show in this section that he says, I was also taught by Jesus. It just happened to be the resurrected Jesus that gave him the gospel. He says, I wasn't taught by any man. And so what we see is that the portrait of, you're going to see, we're going to show, Paul's going to start in verse 13, and he's going to show how his life was before the gospel, what happened when he was converted, and then his life after the gospel. And he's doing this to show them, the point of this whole section is, to show his authority to preach the true gospel. But what it shows us is, is it also shows us the power of the gospel to change somebody's life. Look, look at verse, let's just read and we'll get where we're going. It says, verse 13 says, For you have heard of my conversation, conversation in the old English means behavior, for you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Wasted means destroyed. He said, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And verse 14 says, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So before he was, there's two things here, before he was converted. And those two things are everybody before they're converted. The first one is that they hate the church. Now, the first thing you're going to say to me is... Well, I know people that love to go to church and they love, you know, and they're lost and then they come to know Christ. But the reality is that the Bible says that if, uh, if you're in Christ, that the world is going to hate you. If you're part of the world, you're going to hate God. You're going to hate His people. Now, here's, I had a conversation just the other day about a, a Christian, so-called Christian person that... Uh, 
you know, was they were railing against something that was in the Bible, and and uh, they said all you have to do really is just love. The God said, "Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength." My question was, how do you know who this God is? Well, He's revealed to you in the Bible, and if you don't love the God of the Bible, then you're loving a God that you've made up in your own mind. A lot of people will love a God they make up. You know what I mean? My God, I'll go to church and, you know, my God is okay with me committing adultery. You know, he, he understands that we're all just sinners. And therefore, my God, he's okay with that. And my God just knows that, you know, I, I, I don't really need to serve him. I just got so much going on. He, how many people have you heard say, well, God knows my heart? You know, it's like, yeah, I, you're right. He actually does. And so what people do is they make up a God in their own mind. And whatever you like, whatever your sinful flesh likes to do, your God's going to be okay with it. <laughs> whatever, whatever your proclivity is, maybe you like adultery or lust or maybe you like pride or cussing or you know, whatever. You pick, pick, pick your thing. Whatever your God, whatever you desire to do, whatever you desire to be, you're going to make up a God in your mind that he's okay with that. You know, my, he's all right. He doesn't mind. He doesn't mind if, if you do this or you do that. My God just loves everybody. and He would never send anybody to hell. I always remember that one little girl said, my God loves and he doesn't send anybody to hell. I said, I know your God doesn't send anybody to hell because he doesn't exist. He's, there's no such thing. Uh, and so... People can say that they love God and they love the church, but the reality is when God really starts being God and the church really starts being God's people, uh, walking in righteousness, you're going to see people leaving them by droves because that's not the kind of church they want. They want a church that's going to feed my proclivity, whatever it is, you know, if the church is okay with this sin and that sin, then I'll, I'll go to that church. But if they're not okay with that, you know, they're, oh, they're judgmental and all, you know, and so they'll go somewhere else. Well, Paul was here saying, I hated the church. I hated the true, I hated the people of God. He was zealous for the law of God, but in the same token, he was breaking the law of God in order to kill the Christians. Does that make sense? I know it makes sense, but it, does it really make sense? Somebody nod or something. Y'all alive? You want some coffee? Uh, he, was, he was persecuting the church uh, because he desired his own avenue to God. He desired his own picture of God. You got really two kinds of people. There's one that say, I want my own sin and I want it the way I want it and therefore I'm going to make up this God who is okay with my sin. And then you got another kind of people who say, you know, this gospel is just not enough. I understand you got to have Jesus, but I'm also, you need to work for your, for your salvation. You need to work for God to be pleased with you. And the reality that we, that we so often uh, face as just Christians, all of y'all would agree with me that you can't work for your salvation. All of y'all would, if I went around the room and did a questionnaire, you would all agree with me. It wouldn't be no problem. But what happens is in our daily life, we get pulled back toward working for our salvation. Uh, for instance, when we do something really marvelous for God, 
we tend to feel good, like, God's really proud of me. Boy, I done done something for God. I bet you're glad that you saved me, God. We tend to think that way, you know? When really, obedience to God is just what you're supposed to do, you know? Can you imagine, like, a police officer pulling you over and, and you know, maybe you're two miles over the speed limit, and you say... It was just one time I have gone the speed limit for the last six months. I don't get no credit for that. No, you don't get no credit for going the speed limit. That's what you're supposed to do. That's just what you're supposed to do. And so, but in our hearts, we tend to be drawn toward works righteousness because the the truth of the gospel is that you and I are actually unworthy of anything. And that's a hard pill to swallow for us. You know, we we want to be worthy. We want to be. We want to be, I want to be able to earn what I, what I get. You know, I don't want, I don't want nobody giving me nothing. I want to be able to work for it. I want people to say, well, he earned that. He's, you know, and we don't like it that we can't earn righteousness before God. And the same token is when we fail, we start thinking, well, God must not love me that much anymore. I done messed up bad. You know, that's not the gospel either. The gospel is the perfection that God sees in us is from Jesus Christ and Him alone. It has no bear, our performance has no bearing on it at all. Now, should you feel bad when you sin? Yes, if you're a Christian, you will feel bad because the Spirit lives inside of you, and that's just that's a byproduct of it. Uh, should you feel good when you do good? Yes, that's fine, but it doesn't add any standard. It doesn't add any standing to your salvation, to your standing before God, or anything like that. And so Paul says, I. Before I was converted, I hated the church. And I tried to destroy it. I tried to persecute it. I tried to get rid of it. And he said, but I love my religion. Then in verse 13, he says, or 14, he says, and pointed, he said, I profited in the Jews' religion above all my equals, many my equals in my own nation, but being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. He said, I hated God's people. Hated the true God, but boy, did I love my religion. Why do you think he loved his religion so much at the same time that he was persecuting? He didn't. He thought he was working for God when he was persecuting uh, the Christians, but he was actually working against God. But why do you think he loved his religion so much? What makes men love religion? Gave him authority. Yeah, it definitely gave him authority. He was going from city to city, throwing people in jail, killing them. Why did it make it feel good? Yeah, he was working to please God. That's what he was doing. And he was better at it than most people. Paul was a very smart fellow. He was very smart. He was, it says here that he was even passing up people that were more learned, supposed to be more learned than him. He was learning and, and, and all those things. And so he, by world standards, by religious standards, he was doing better than everybody else. But the reality was that he was working against God, wasn't he? By going and pulling Christians out of their houses while they were worshiping, by killing them, by, by persecuting them, he was working against God. It's very instructive for me to... When Paul got, in Acts chapter 9, when Paul got knocked off his donkey and Jesus appeared to him, he said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. Paul, Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead, resurrected, and ascended. He, I mean, he wasn't even 
He wasn't around no more. Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting God's people, Jesus' people. So why did Jesus say you're persecuting me when he was persecuting the people? You with me? Huh? Because we're the body of Christ. Yeah, the Spirit of God lives in. So think about it. Paul is on the way thinking he's doing God's work, thinking he's doing God's will. All of a sudden, Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his donkey. And Paul, for the first time, has his eyes open, his heart open to the fact that you are not serving God. You are persecuting God. You see what I said? I mean, can you imagine what kind of shock it was that all this time I've been working, I've been religious, I've been doing all these things, and God shows up to him in the middle of the road. Jesus shows up to him in the middle of the road and says, you are working against me. Can you imagine what kind of shock that was to him? And that's a shock that most people don't want. I mean, people are religious all over the place. Even, I don't even care if you're an atheist. You are very religious. You're a religious atheist. Everybody has their own religion. Whether it be, you know, even if you claim to be secular or claim to be atheist or or whatever, you are just as religious as everybody else. You hold to the tenets of that faith just as hard as any Buddhist or Muslim or anybody else. Everybody is religious. And the, the purpose of your life, the thing that you live for, the thing that makes you happy, the thing that gives you joy, that is your God. I don't care what it is, whether it's TV, relaxation, free time, the thing that you live for, the purpose of your life is your God. It may be work, it may be earning money, it may be family, whatever it is, that's your God. And so everybody is religious. Mankind is religious even if he denies that there is a God. He's still just as religious as everybody else. And so he loves to be religious. That's what Paul said here. Before his conversion, he hated God's people. He hated the true God. And he loved to be religious. But then he is converted. Verse 15 says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He's saying the whole point of all this is for him to prove that he is an apostle and that he has the authority to give them the gospel. And these guys who are coming saying we have more authority than him because we're from Jerusalem have no right to be saying that. But he says that in the midst of his religion, it pleased God who separated him from his mother's womb, who who knew the whole time and called him by his grace. Think about that for a minute. I, I, I dwelt on this passage just probably a lot longer than I should, but the whole time, think about Paul as a little boy, you know, growing up Jewish, or, or I guess... I don't know if he grew up Jewish or not. He's from Tarsus, which is... Anyway, that's a whole other subject. But he was a Jew of Jews. He was greater in the religion than anybody else. He probably... To be a Pharisee alone, you had to, make, you had to have the first five books of the Bible memorized. You know, so you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all memorized. And so just to be a Pharisee, he had that. So you can imagine how he was, I mean, he was excellent in his religious studies. He was just all of these things. And 
then he turned his rage upon Christians. He turned his rage upon people he thought were denying his God, the true God, who he, what he thought was the true God. The whole time that he was religious, the whole time that he was killing people, the whole time that he was persecuting Christians, God knew there's going to come a day when I'm going to call him. He's going to be my apostle. There's going to come a day when I'm going to save him by my grace. Now, can you think, think about that for a moment? If you would have looked at Saul of Tarsus, you would have said, this guy is evil. I mean, there's just no hope for him. There's no hope for anything to turn around. I mean, you couldn't imagine. I mean, this guy was this guy was bad. This is not just I'm a bad guy, but he's pulling people out of their houses and having them murdered, having them thrown in jail. I mean, you couldn't think of something more evil than that. But the whole time this is going on, the whole time that he was persecuting Jesus and his people, God had God had foreseen from his mother's womb that I'm going to call this man. He's going to be my apostle. He's going to be uh, apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to write 13 books. In the New Testament, I mean, he's going to be—he's going to be one of the most important, influential people in the spread of Christianity. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, it makes me think—you know—there's nothing, there's nothing too bad that that you can do, that I can do, that or someone that I love can do that will make me lose hope. You know, I don't know about any of y'all's family or any of y'all, but. You know, they ain't murdering people in their homes yet, I hope. If not, if they are, we probably need to call the cops. <laughs> but whatever they're doing, whatever's going on with them, they're not, they're not as bad as Paul was. And yet the whole time Paul was doing those things, he knew, God knew that this is my man here. Paul wasn't saved at the time. I'm not saying that if he died, he wouldn't have went to heaven. I'm not talking about any of all that. I, I'm just saying... That God knew that this is man. I'm going to call him. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when I'm going to change his heart and I'm going to change his life. And you can all think of yourself that way. I mean, I can think of me. You know, I can remember. You know, well, I can remember a lot of stuff that I ain't going to say. But I mean, I I remember. I mean, I tell you one. Look, this is one story. The first ever money making band that I was in was financed by a guy who sold drugs for a living. And go, we'd go practice over at his house, and I found out later, you know, like one night we were over there practicing and just playing, goofing off, doing whatever, and we left the house. This one is just God's providence. We left the house, and then an hour later, the TBI raided the house and arrested everybody now. And I had been there an hour earlier, you know, so you could just see God. I mean, I look at who God, you know, God saved me and made me, you know, whatever it is that I am now. But I mean, you can just see God working through all that time, even even when it was I hated God, you know, and God would have been right to strike me dead. That's just that's off the subject. But you see that while Paul was killing people. In the midst of all this, God knew, I'm going to call that man. I'm going to call him. He's going to be my apostle. And so that's what he says to them. He said, when God saved me, he said, I didn't run to Jerusalem and ask the apostles if it was okay if I preached too. He said, I didn't run to seek their approval. He said, I went to Arabia, verse uh, 17. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which are apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. 
Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things I write to you, behold, before God, I lie not. So following Paul's line is a little difficult. Uh, He was saved in Damascus, right? And then he went to Arabia. And then he came back from Arabia to Damascus. And then after that, he went from Damascus, he went to Jerusalem just for about 14 days. About two weeks, saw James and Peter. Okay? Now, if you're tracing that in Acts, it's Acts chapter 9. Luke doesn't record in Acts the trip to Arabia. All he records is Damascus. But, you know, you don't really have to record every single event. Basically, he was he just picked up the story where um, Paul was in the Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? Okay, let me just read that. Let me flip over to Acts. Because a lot of people, when you talk about Galatians and Acts and Paul's conversion, a lot of people are going to say, oh, the Bible contradicts itself here, but it really doesn't. In Acts chapter 9... Um, Acts chapter 9 is Paul's conversion, Saul's conversion to Paul. Uh, And in verse 23, it says, no. Okay, verse 19 says, And when he had received meat, this is after Paul uh, has been blinded three days after he was met on the road by Jesus. It says, And when he received meat, he was strengthened, then Saul... Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Between 19 and 20 is when Paul went to Arabia. He went from Damascus to Arabia and preached, and then came back to Damascus. Okay. Now the reason why I can say that is if you look at verse 23 in Acts It says, and after many days were fulfilled, this is back in Damascus, the Jews took counsel to him, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Okay? Got that? What happened? Let him down in the wall in a basket. Alright, now flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm sorry. This is important though. Are y'all still with me? Yeah. All right. In verse 32 of 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about the episode. What? So, uh, It says, in Acts it says certain Jews wanted to kill Paul. But it's going to tell us right here who really wanted to kill Paul. Uh, so what we read was, all right, let me sum it up. In Galatians, Paul said, I went to Arabia, I went from Damascus to Arabia, which is like if if Damascus is right here, if Damascus is right here, Arabia is right here, and Jerusalem is down here. Okay? So what he did was he went from Damascus to Arabia and then back to Damascus down to Jerusalem. Okay? And so what happened was 
He says, I went to Arabia and went back to Damascus. And it was only then that I went to Jerusalem. Well, in Damascus, in Acts, we just read how when he was in Damascus preaching, people tried to kill him. Therefore, they let him down out of the window in a basket, right? He's going to describe the same event right here in 2 Corinthians 11. And he's going to tell us who was after it. In verse 32, it says, In Damascus, the governor, which was the governor of Damascus under Eretus. You see that name, Eretus? The king kept the city of Damascus with a garrison, desired to apprehend me, and threw a window in a basket was I let down in the wall and escaped his hands. Eretus was the king of Arabia. Okay? Got me? And he, Damascus was under the rule of that governor of the king. See what I mean? So what we see is you have Luke recording part of the story. You have Paul recording part of the story. You put the story together and you can see Paul went into Arabia and preached. And preached. The king of Arabia got ticked off at him preaching. So he came back to Damascus and the king tried to kill him through the governor of Damascus. And they let him out of the window in the basket. Y'all with me? Is that confusing? Y'all lying. It is confusing. Okay. The point of all that is Paul went from Damascus to Arabia, back to Damascus, then to Jerusalem. So it's three years before he ever went to Jerusalem. It's three years. The problem with that, the reason why I went through all that is because Luke in the book of Acts doesn't record the trip to Arabia. See what I mean? And so there's a lot of people that say, well, Paul's lying. because, Or either Paul's lying or Luke's misinformed because he doesn't record the trip to Arabia. But Luke does record on the second trip to Damascus, he was let down out of the window of the basket. Paul tells us why he was let down out of the window. Because the king of Arabia was, was after him. See what I mean? Y'all with me? That's very confusing, but... The point, is, the point I'm trying to make in all that is Paul is trustworthy when he says, I went to Arabia and then back to Damascus. Okay? And the point that he's making is, I didn't run straight off to Jerusalem to get permission to preach this gospel from the Jerusalem apostles. Uh, Jesus, Jesus appeared to me and he commissioned me to preach. So the first thing I did was I ran off and preached in Arabia. And then they got mad at me. And so I came back to Damascus. And that's where Luke picks up the story in Acts where he says, and I was preaching in the synagogues in, uh, in Damascus. With me? Okay. Man, that was... All right, let me get back to Galatians. And it, like Dean is correct, three years he went to... He went to... Uh, Jerusalem, but he didn't go to get trained. He didn't go to get trained by the. He just stayed there for fifteen days. It says in verse, uh, where are we at? Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days, two weeks. But other apostles saw none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. And it says afterwards, somebody stay in Acts, and you can read for me so I don't have to turn back and forth. Stay in Acts chapter 9. It says, then I went three years in the bow of Jerusalem to see Peter. Somebody read Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27. 
And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he is saying to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Okay. You see that? This is the trip. I went to Jerusalem, but the only disciple I saw was Peter. Why did he only see Peter? Because all them other junkers didn't want to get their head chopped off. They wasn't sure that Paul wasn't still after them. It's like this guy that had been killing Christians all the time, suddenly, oh, oh, suddenly he'd become a Christian. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, let me run right out and meet this guy and lose my head. So none of them, none of them went to see, none of them went to see him. So he's telling the story of his conversion and how, how he went to. It says, I, I lie not. Verse 21 says, Afterwards, after he left Jerusalem for these two weeks, it says, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Okay? Read Acts 9.30. Um, which when the brethren knew they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Tarsus. Tarsus is the main city in Cilicia. So when he said, after I left there, I went to Cilicia and I went to Syria. He says, I went to Tarsus. And if you read, we won't have to read it, but if you read Acts chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, he's going to say, I went to Antioch. And Antioch is the biggest city in Syria. And so you have Paul going to Tarsus and Antioch, and then here you say he's saying, I'm going, I went to Cilicia and to Syria, which is Tarsus and Antioch. Make sense? I'm trying to show you from Acts and from Galatians how the stories fit. Make sense? Okay. And it, verse chapter 2 says... Well, well, the rest of chapter 1, it says, Afterwards I came to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea. He said, even at this time, the people in Judah, Judea didn't even know who I was. They knew that there was one that was persecuting, that was supposedly preaching now, but they didn't know me by my face. They didn't know who I was. I had never visited any of them. It says, and was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which they once which once he destroyed and they glorified God in me and then 14 years later i went up again to jerusalem with barnabas and took titus with me this is this visit is recorded in acts chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 now think about that when you're reading acts we started in chapter 9 with paul's conversion acts chapter 9 chap, chapter Chapter 10 is all about Peter, so it kind of skips over Paul. And then in chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, you have him going to Tarsus and Antioch. And then 14 years later, he goes to Jerusalem, which is record in, recorded in Acts 28 through 30. So it's a big time gap between Acts 11, 28, 26, and 28. Make sense? I know this is just a bunch of history. You're thinking, well, I'm not in history class. What is this all about? But he's making, he's, he's proving that the gospel that he preached is the gospel that's from Christ. He didn't receive it from any man. And basically, he's just telling them his life history. He's saying, I didn't run off to Jerusalem and get the gospel from anybody. And he said, I don't need the Jerusalem apostles to tell me that my gospel is correct. Jesus told me that my gospel is correct. 
And so he went to Jerusalem in, in verse in chapter 2. I went to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus and went up by revelation, which means God told him to go, and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. 14, 15, 67. For 17 years he's been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And just now he goes to Jerusalem 17 years later to tell the Jerusalem apostles what he's been preaching. And it says, but he told them privately, them which were of Reputation, reputation, lest any man, lest any means I should run or had run in vain. Uh, he, what he's not, what he wants is not two churches. He doesn't want Jewish church and Gentile church. And so he says, this is where we'll get to. This is the, the point where we need to get to. It says, neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That's the whole point of the people who are coming against the Galatian church, isn't it? Jesus is good. Jesus is what you need. But if you want to be right before God, you also had to add circumcision. Paul says, I went to Jerusalem and I met with the Jerusalem apostles that you say are so far above me. And I brought with me Titus, who was a Greek. And we met with them and I told them the gospel that I'd been preaching. Uh, He wasn't offering his gospel for their critique. He was just letting them know what he was preaching. And it says, and this Greek guy with me in front of the Jerusalem apostles wasn't compelled to be circumcised. Why are you thinking because you're Galatians that you need to be circumcised when Titus himself wasn't circumcised in the presence of these Jewish apostles? And so he said they added, they, he said, this is the point that we'll stop here probably. What time is it? Man, it just feels like it's been a lot longer than that. And that because of false brethren, false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. How were they trying to bring him into bondage? Obeying the law by giving them works to do to make themselves righteous before God. And he calls them false brethren. You think he could get away with it today? Calling somebody a false brethren? You think you good? Not in most churches. How dare you question my salvation? You could probably get them to leave the church. <laughs> oh, I could get them to leave the church. That's easy. <laughs> but he calls them the people who the people who are adding to the gospel, Paul says, are not Christians. They look like Christians, they act like Christians, they talk like Christians. He said, but they're false brethren. And these were people in Antioch that were causing, this is what caused him to go to Jerusalem. But he's comparing the same, he's comparing the Galatians to them. The false brethren are sneaking in and they're spying out your liberty. They don't want you to be in liberty. They want you to be in bondage to the law. But I was just thinking that, you know, you could say that, but they would just brush you off like, you know, you're just a guy. Yeah, that's right. Don't be so crazy with your Christianity. Yeah, that's it's so much I can say right there. <laughs> the point he's making is if you add to the gospel, you're destroying the gospel. You can't have the gospel plus anything. It's the, it, that's, the gospel plus one other thing is not the gospel. Does that make sense? And he's saying, look, we didn't yield to them. Let me read one more verse. It says, we didn't yield to them. Uh... To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. We didn't yield to them for an hour. 
And the reason they didn't yield to them, he said, because that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Understand? You see how important it is here? If somebody walked in and say, let's say Dean walks in and says, Jason, the gospel's important. Jesus is the way. I agree. He said, but you have to keep the law as well. I mean, you've got to. Let's just, just take one thing. Let's take, I mean, anything. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. So let's take baptism as the sign of the covenant. Yes, I got you. I got you. Jesus is the way. We can agree on all those things. We can agree Jesus died for our sins and you have to trust him. But we're gonna add you gotta be you gotta add baptism to it. You gotta add baptism to the to do that, to do that would be to nullify the gospel. Paul says if you add circumcision, he says the reason why we didn't yield to them not for one hour was so that the truth would remain with you. To, to add circumcision to the gospel would destroy the truth of the gospel. And for someone to say that I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I believe that He is the Messiah, but I also believe that God will not accept you unless you are circumcised, Paul calls you a false brethren. Do you see how important it is? Adding one little element to the gospel. Adding one little thing, one little swipe of a knife, you know, in circumcision to the gospel is to destroy the work of the gospel. It's either all of Jesus or it's none of Jesus. He won't, he won't accept Jesus plus anything. That's a false gospel. That's a gospel that can't save you. It's a gospel that God will not use to usher you into His kingdom. Does that make sense? You see what he's saying, the language he's using? Now, if you say that, I can hear myself say it. You walk out of these doors and you say that, people are going to go, oh, you're just being hateful. Aren't you think you're taking this thing a little too seriously? Aren't you think? I can imagine people saying that to Paul. Paul, whoa, I mean, aren't you just taking this thing a little too far? Saying they're false brethren? Saying that they're... You know, destroying the truth of the gospel. Really, all they did was just add one little thing. I mean, can't we all just get along? <laughs> you can you can imagine people saying that to Paul, but he's serious about this. You add anything to that gospel, and you destroy the whole work of the gospel. You destroy everything. And so, last verse, and we'll go. It says, uh, verses 7 through 10 are, I'm not even going to read them, but... They're all about when when Paul brought his gospel to the apostles in Jerusalem, they they agreed with him. They gave him the right hand of fellowship, said, you are an apostle just like we are. You're called to the Gentiles just like we're called to the Jewish people. And so Paul is making his case to the Galatians. He's saying, I am an apostle. God made me an apostle. I didn't get my gospel from any man. And when I finally did go see the elders, the apostles in Jerusalem, 17 years later, after I'd been preaching, when I finally did go see them, they agreed that I had been called of God. They gave Barnabas and I the right hand of fellowship to go to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel. And they added nothing to the gospel that I'm preaching. 
See what he's doing? He's saying, no, you're wrong. You can't say just because y'all are from Jerusalem that you're, you have the right gospel and I have the wrong gospel. I am, I am called of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? But the point of the whole passage is that uh, you cannot add to the gospel of Christ. No one can. If you do, it destroys the gospel. Make sense? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. God, we just ask that you would be with us and that you would watch over us.